Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me today, Taylor Dammel, no shark. He wasted his time, really. He was uh, at his men's league semifinal. I say that he wasted his time because they ended up losing. So maybe he will think twice about skipping out on Titch for a semifinal. But hug for the shark. Hope he's hope he's not reeling too hard from that loss. But Taylor, always great to have you joining me. Uh, we're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the week, Arsalan Kazemi for Rice. Groundbreaker. The first Iranian player to play Division I basketball, if you remember Kazemi, he was a problem. He was very good for the Rice Owls. Wasn't just uh, some guy that made news because he was Iranian, but he was a player. Go ahead. And, and Oregon, right? I think he did play at Oregon. Yeah. You're right. Great call. Thank you. Uh, so Arslan Kazemi is your college hooper of the week. Hat tip to Rice for forcing overtime on the road in Austin against Texas, of course. Those players dealing with quite a bit of turmoil as the Chris Beard story continues to unfold and unravel. And Taylor and I will talk a little bit about that as much as we can, I guess, because we don't know the full details and we need to be very, very, uh, uh, you know, polished in our responses. Careful. 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 Absolutely. And and I'm going to be honest with you. We don't know the legal side of these things, but the only thing we can do is discuss how this might impact Texas basketball because that is uh, going to be a huge story, but certainly a footnote into the grander scheme of things, which is uh, the alleged abuse. And uh, of course the keeping in mind, first and foremost, uh, the victim in this as well, but Taylor and I will get into that whole, whole thing, but I don't know how, uh, how this dovetailed into that topic already, but Arsalan Kazemi, He's your college hooper of the week. We're brought to you by Royal Digital Marketing, a.k.a. RDM. RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you need a website, contact them at colin at royaldigital.co. That's C-O-L-I-N at royaldigital.co. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Namel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains.
Taylor, welcome back. We got an awesome episode for you folks. Omar Samhan in the building, the low top legend. Taylor, how much fun was that? And we'll we'll get a little bit more reaction from you after we play this. But how cool was that? He is a cult hero to guys like us. Oh, totally. Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, uh, he's got a really good story about some uh, future NBA players that you guys have probably heard of uh, before. And that's really cool, you know, and that was kind of the thing I, I took away the most from it was um, and kind of his last point about uh, now being involved in NBA agency is that, um, it, you know, talent, if you're talented, like someone will find you and you can really come from anywhere and still make it, whether it be in the league or, uh, you know, in your chosen or chosen field. So I thought how he wrapped up all his connections he made while at college. I mean, St. Mary's a big school in terms of like the basketball world, but it's certainly not a big school in terms of like the collegiate world in, in general. Um, so I, I just thought it was cool to, to uh, you know, hear about all the connections he made in college, who he got to play in college. And then especially in that time period, um, and then, of course, we have some history with St. Mary's, whether not whether it's not actually playing the game, but our team benefiting from something that they did not benefit from. So, yeah, no, I mean, it was it was really great. The, the number one thing I hope everyone takes away from that, though, is a uh, is uh, a very famous shooter uh, giving our boy Omar Samhan a, a hard time years ago. Yeah, the quote is hysterical. We're not going to obviously say it right now. Listen to that. He's an open book. He's. He's very self-aware. That's how I described him. Uh, you know, he was able to sort of poke fun at himself. But at the end of the day, he's one of the most effective players during that run, 2006, 2010. Omar Samhan was was a tremendous basketball player. I think he scored 61 points over the course of two NCAA tournament games. Incredibly clutch. Uh, and he really laid the groundwork for St. Mary's basketball as we know it today. So, that's a great interview. Stay tuned for that. But first, Taylor, let's dive into the playbill. A lot happened over the course of this last week since we last spoke. Chris Beard, the biggest story in college basketball a couple days ago. Breaking news, really, that Beard was arrested on uh, some d- alleged domestic violence charges. And it's it's just it's shaking the college basketball world because Again, the only way that we can address this is from a college basketball perspective and what this means for Texas hoops. And again, I understand on the totem pole, the rung, uh, where this rung ends up on like the importance ladder, it's super low. But that's all we can really comment on. This is brutal, though, because Texas was having a dream season. A lot of people picking them for the final four. And you can already tell how much it impacted them because they went to overtime against Rice. You got to think that if everything was status quo, that is an easy win in Austin. But Taylor, let's get your initial thoughts here on the on the beard situation and what that exactly means for the Longhorns. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not good. Um, that goes without saying. Uh, yeah, I think, not to be funny, but Rice plus 25 was the easiest bet in the history of college basketball yesterday I kept waiting for the line to come down and it actually got bigger and I'm like well this is just free money right here out in front of us right now it's like what college kids can react positively to their coach getting uh, arrested for domestic violence charges at 4 a.m the night before a game and then you're expected to go out there and 
a win or play, but B like win huge. I thought that was a little ridiculous, but I mean, I guess if we really want to um, talk about what this means for the future of Texas basketball, because there's really nothing we can comment on the uh, incident, right. Other than it being potentially terrible for everyone involved. Um, uh, I mean, if you're a Texas fan, you got to be like, well, what the fuck at this point? Cause I mean, you finally, this is the first time Texas basketball has been like, like they were a fun story. I think when Shaka was there, um, you know, and I mean, over the years with like, you know, Rick Barnes and those guys, I mean, they were always like good. They obviously were, were good the one year with Kevin Durant, but they've never been like, you know, it, it's always been a classic case of the team of that is kind of like the woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? Like, I think that's Texas athletics as a whole in our ever since the national championship game for football against Alabama, uh, Texas athletics has been coulda, shoulda, woulda. They're probably one of the most underperforming athletic departments, given what their resources are in the country. Like they have the success of in Arizona in their athletic department, Arizona, they, may, they might not even be successful as Arizona. And the only reason I use Arizona is because they have like one-tenth of the budget that Texas does. And Texas shouldn't have to recruit outside of like Austin for any sport. And they seem to fail or at least not live up to expectations over and over again. So if this does come to a situation where uh, Chris Beard gets fired, which I think that's kind of where things are trending at this point, no matter how this turns out. Um, we did talk about this uh yesterday off air that Texas does have a clause in Chris Beard's contract um, that says something to the effect of that he doesn't have to be convicted of a crime. It's just being charged with a crime that embarrasses the university in layman's terms. So that's, we've definitely checked that box on this one, but uh, we also talked a little bit about how, how different uh, the transfer portal is now in recent years. If something like this happened and you were a player, you'd have to file for some, you know, special circumstances for you to be able to transfer out, so on and so forth. And so schools in turmoil were often able to keep some of their players just simply because of the difficulty in going through that process. Nowadays, it's a free for all. Like if Chris Beard gets fired, how many people are staying on that team? No one, probably no one. I mean, and then the recruits are all going to bail. You got to start fresh again. You're definitely not going to go get another coach as good as Chris Beard, in my opinion, at least on the basketball court, right? So we, we might be able to find a better person than Chris Beard at this point, but we certainly would be tough to find a better basketball coach than Chris Beard. So, I mean, this could really, if they didn't have billions and billions of dollars to work with, I mean, they, this could really hamstring the the entire uh, program there. And that's kind of what I expect to happen here. I think they'll be... Things will normalize this year at some point, whether it's next week, two weeks, three weeks, there will be a, they'll make the tournament still, in my opinion, all that type of stuff. You know, obviously they're number two team in the country right now. Um, There's seven now. Or seven, excuse me. Yeah, there's seven now, my bad. Um, You know, there'll be a story come tournament time, like, oh, these players either came, come together or broke apart. And that's really where this is going to come down to is how, how does this all work? Like, are you, it's a fight or flight situation, right? Are, are the, are the players going to come together say, man, we got a real raw deal here. We got to come together and prove that it's not just our coach, that it's us who, who drives this ship or is the whole thing just going to fall apart? Uh, I think both of those are equally as likely in my opinion. 
Yeah, I think the two biggest takeaways for me when it comes strictly to a basketball perspective and what this means for the Longhorn program is, first of all, if I'm a fan, it's like, here we go again, right? You go through Shaka Smart and he didn't do anything bad. He, He was just vanilla. It was static. I think they played a close game against Northern Iowa in the NCAA tournament. Outside of that, I don't think Shaka ever won a tournament game with Texas. So you go through about four to five years of Shaka Smart waiting and waiting and waiting for something to pop because you're you're saying, Hey, I'm Texas basketball. You spoke to all the resources never happened. Okay. So you move on. And like I said, Shaka smart. It's uh, if I'm a Texas fan, I wouldn't hate him, but I'm also not running up to him and giving him a hug. I'm sort of just in the middle neutral on Shaka smart. Hey, appreciate all that you did for us. But end of the day, you didn't get the job done. Now you got Chris beard, the prodigal, the prodigal son coming home, right? The, the kid who graduated from, from UT Austin, his dream job. You have a good year last year. Tons to look forward to this year. Number two ranking uh, in, in the country. A really, really deep and lethal team. And then this happens. And so you got to be thinking to yourself, well, this throws a huge wrench into our plans. Okay. And I kind of feel for Texas fans because they just, they seem to just be get, getting jerked around by their coaches. Uh, and even in football, you go from like Charlie strong to Tom Herman. And now there's a little bit of hope with Sark. And, and so it's, it's really just, it's, it's like, when will this optimism ever pay off for Longhorns fans here, uh, in the, in recent memory. And I don't know if I, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the year, but in terms of where they go and how this could impact them long-term, I look at a team like Wichita state, Greg Marshall got fired for uh, some questionable questionable behavior that was deemed by the administration. Wichita State is nowhere near the program they were when they were being coached by Greg Marshall. You look at a school like Louisville, Rick Pitino is obviously a Hall of Famer, but ever since he's been gone, how did the Chris Mack era end up? How's the Kenny Payne era going? These are serious, serious things that when you have an established coach and there's a jolt, right, that could sidewind your program for five to six years with no hope in sight. I think that's the biggest thing, at least with Shaka, you sort of saw the end of the tunnel coming because of how static it was. This is a real jolt. And now you're sort of reeling saying, what the hell do we do with Chris Beard? First of all, after all the details come out and then what's the game plan. So that's number one, the state of the program. Number two, I feel for the kids. This sucks on all levels because if you've ever played sports, if you've ever played sports at a high level, the coaches always demand perfection from you as it pertains to off the court issues, academics, behavior with other people, just general decorum really to, to take care of everything in your control to not put yourself in a in a compromising position. Coaches harp on that all the time. And we see players get suspended for three games because they played in a in a showcase tournament in the offseason, right? And some people could say, well, that's putting your team uh, at risk. How, it, how do you look these kids in the face again, right? And a- after all that, that has been reported, again, allegedly, but you keep preaching to these kids. You can't don't do anything to compromise the team. Like even if he's found guilty or whatever, it's gotta be difficult for Chris Beard to then go back to his players. And I don't know that relationship, but we see it in the NBA. Ime Yadoka, who obviously didn't do something as egregious as Chris Beard's alleged to have done, 
but he lost their trust. He completely, for what a lot of people thought, sidewinded the team. Joe Mazzulla's next man up. And it's not as easy uh, for other teams to replicate what the Celtics are doing this year. So it's a two-pronged thing for me. One, this could really put a serious wrench in Texas. And two, uh, I don't know how the kids respond to this. I think they're in such a shitty predicament. Well, we kind of talked about this uh, via text yesterday as well. Like uh, a player just echoing kind of similar thoughts to you on that is like a player probably doesn't get the same benefit of the doubt that Chris Beard does here. or or Maybe not benefit of the doubt isn't the right word, but it's likely that that player is no matter how it turns out, never seen again on the roster. Um, You know, even if they are, uh, proven innocent or whatever, that process usually plays out much longer than the season takes. And by the time it gets played out, they're already moving on to the next team, no matter what happens, because they've got such a poor taste in their mouth from whatever happened, or they did actually commit what happened. And clearly they shouldn't be on the team then. But point being, Chris Beard is still has his job and is suspended without pay or whatever it may be and all that. But I feel like there's a much higher likelihood that a, uh, a player in this situation would have just gone boop, right off the roster rather than being quote unquote suspended. Now I get that you can't do that. There's contractual contractual obligations, whatever. It's just, I know I'm not even saying it's, I don't know if double standards, not the right word, but there's certainly something to point out there where it's your, your leash is at least one quarter of an inch longer. If you're a coach in these situations than a player. Yeah. So just an unwelcome surprise in Austin for a season that started off so well, so well, um, brutal stuff there for Texas. We'll see how they navigate this. All right. Next on the playbill here, Taylor, Ohio state Rutgers last week, controversial finish. I don't know if you saw this, but I'll catch you up to speed. Tanner Holden, former Wright state guard transferred in uh, Clint, Clint Sargent, shout out friend of the program, Tanner Holden, uh, for Ohio State, hits the game winner against Rutgers, who's very feisty, very tough. Steve Peichel is doing an amazing job. But the controversy here comes because Tanner Olden, before he caught the ball, uh, he either didn't establish himself back in bounds or he was never even forced out of bounds. So he went out of bounds on his own volition. And when that's the case, even if you do establish yourself in bounds, I believe you cannot be the first to touch the basketball. Uh, all of which it just it just did not seem like Ohio State should have won that game based on the rules, but they did end up doing doing exactly that. My only thing here, Taylor, that I want to talk about is we spend twenty minutes under two timeout psychoanalyzing. Did the ball tip off of me or did it tip off of Taylor? And we're doing like frame by frame by frame. And it's a result of refs, I'm convinced, not paying attention because they know they can rely on these replays. Bro, why can't we spend like 10 minutes on this? This truly determined the outcome of a game. And also, I feel like you could just retroactively be like, no, because the the buzzer went off. But I'm just really upset that this like the smallest shit gets psychoanalyzed, but not something huge like this. No, totally. That's, I think, my overarching thought, too, is it's what's the point of doing all of this type of review stuff all game when there's one that's you come down to something like this, and it's pretty clear to everybody involved once the, you hit the replay and go back and look at it, kind of what happened or what didn't happen, I guess, would be another way to put it. But we just say, no, whatever, fuck, fuck it. <laughs> I, I, Yeah, I just don't understand. Uh, you know, I'm still, like, pro replay, right? But it just... 
I think part of the other problems with the refs is, and the, and the analysts, everybody involved is, and this is across any sport. And it's for some reason, like replay just is never seen in the flow of the game. And what I mean by that is we only do slow motion replays anymore. There's no real time. So like, uh, let's take roughing the passer penalties in the NFL. Well, if you slow every single hit down, they all look really fucking violent, right? But in real time, like it's it's like, oh, it was literally only like one tenth of a second that the ball would like, you know. And so I think that's the problem is we lose sight on replay of like the actual speed of the game rather than like slowing it down and not having a real reference point to how they're slowing it down. So you get even the announcers are like, oh, well, that's pretty obvious. And it's like, no, it's it's. It's, it's not like this. This happened in a quarter of a second and we've slowed it down into a 10 minute stretched out process. So, um, yeah, that, and we deal with that every day in college basketball, but then you don't use it here. It makes it makes no sense. Yeah, it just really peeved me off last week because this is a shot that literally end up, ended up winning the game. Uh, a direct correlation between the shot and the result. Whereas when there's a minute 45 left on the clock and a team's down four, and we don't know who who the ball went off of. Every announcers will be going to be like, "Oh, this is a huge call." In the grand scheme of things, it's really not, man. All right, like make a judgment call on the floor, and if it really is a bang bang 50-50 play, sure, I guess. But there's a lot there's a lot more critical, crucial calls that I think we need to be spending our time on. Also, I cannot stand when they're analyzing or, or replaying a player to see if he got the shot off in time, like the, beating the shot clock. They, 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 the replay guy just keeps going back and forth, back and forth, trying to guess, like stopping where, trying to pause where you need to, to make that determination. I'm like, guys, all you got to do is look at the shot clock and the second it hits zero hit pause. And then once we do that, we can see if the ball is still touching the guy's finger or not. Like, they just yeah, they use going. the guy's finger as like, oh no, let's no, yeah. Yeah, right. That's what, that's exactly what my point is. They're not viewing these things in the flow of the game. They're they're looking at it all the wrong direction, right? Yeah, right. I'm I'm just like, the second that shot clock hits triple zero, pause, and then you can easily determine. I swear these people don't understand that. So Sabatino Chen probably agrees with you. Yeah. Hey, he he's still got a gripe. I don't blame him. All right. Next up. Real quick, Creighton, free-falling right now. Five straight losses, the last of which to an ASU team that's pretty good, man. I think they're going to be ranked next week. They very well might be ranked when Arizona comes to town in in Tempe on New Year's Eve. But obviously, Ryan Kalkbrenner was out for that game. I I genuinely don't think he's been right since Maui. I'm talking physically, health-wise. There does seem to be something going on with Ryan Kalkbrenner. I hope he's all right. This is just me speculating. But Creighton, man, top 10 team tumbling out of the top 25 they're six and five so they are this year's what michigan was last year essentially that's Uh, not a bad comp no i mean or this year's michigan i guess um i think michigan had higher hopes last year i I think that's a good good one and the asu comp is kind of right there too because asu beat michigan uh this year and then um did arizona beat michigan last year yeah in vegas yeah yeah so i'm I'm seeing a lot of similarities between these Arizona schools and Creighton and Michigan. Yeah. So either the Arizona schools are just the death knell for any like top 10 team when you play them and then they just fall off the cliff. I'm sure that's not it. I'm sure it has a lot more to do with Ryan Cockburner not being uh, available or himself. Um, yeah. Pretty crazy. I mean, I still, 
for me, they're like still a team I can't quit though, because it's like they I look at them. God, are they the are are they the LA Chargers of <laughs> when you look at them, you're like, well, no, they should still win this game, right? That's what I'm <laughs> saying. No Kalkbrenner, sure, but you still have Nemhard, Shireman, and uh and, and Kaluma. And they had a couple shots to win it uh against ASU as well. Actually, I thought uh Shireman passed up uh an open three uh to win and then ended up uh dribbling towards the middle of the of the court and then ended up kicking it over to Nemhard who missed uh uh you know like a rainbow three and I do want to bring up this isn't about this game in particular but I just want to bring up something that I hate to agree with Jeff Goodman but maybe it was Jeff Goodman I don't know it, I, I can't remember who it was might be an Arizona guy that I follow that said this I, I really can't remember but we are com- a big complaint about college basketball I think right now is uh what like last second plays are not there's like no plays what are they even drawing up in the huddle at this at this point because like you watch the end of these games in some situations and you're like you had eight seconds to get this off and that the best you could come up with in a two-point situation is a Nemhard like 27 foot rainbow three I understand that like you want to get it in your best player's hands. That's why they originally got to Shireman. He tried to make something work, whatever. But I I I'm I think that's lacking here in college basketball as a whole. Is it's almost like we're just taking from the NBA and the and the NBA is like, oh, we got enough individuals, they can just go ISO, whatever. And it's like, well, you got eight seconds. Can we run like at least like a backdoor cut or something for a layup to get to get a tie here? It's like everyone wants to hit the game winning three. I know that's been a complaint. Also, get off my lawn. As well, I know it's been a complaint from everybody, but seemingly is forever. Could be generational thing, whatever. But I feel like that's something we're lacking in college basketball too. I think we're also lacking. Maybe if I take it a step further, that safety valve or that or that that second play. So what I mean by that is, hey Taylor, we're going to run this as our primary play. But if and when that gets shut down, this is the second. This is the emergency uh, play as well. I don't think we have that because. Teams are good defensively, man, and they study your film as well. So if you think you can just run the the first play that you call out, and I know that you're in a time crunch, you have eight seconds, but there's got to be some sort of emergency valve, and it doesn't seem as if that's happening. And sometimes that results in so many teams just not even getting a shot off because they're so committed to that one play. It's like, no, 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 I was supposed to be here. I don't know. You need some sort of breakdown. Uh, or you need something to to help you out when things do break down or when the defense completely reads your your play. Well, and if you look at la- that game against uh, Creighton's game that we're talking about here, Shireman gets doubled, right? And then kicks it over to Nemhard, who also is being well defended. There's essentially four defenders on the perimeter. So there's three other motherfuckers in blue that got to be somewhere out there that, you know, and this is a two point game, you know? So it's not like a three was necessary. I just thought that was funny where it's like, you've got four people, essentially three, at least out on the perimeter. There's got to be another guy in eight seconds. Sure. It doesn't seem like a long time, but in college basketball, it's an eternity. You can easily get up and down the entire court and score a bucket in eight seconds. You should be able to get at least a good shot off. But I mean, obviously, we're just fans here and you know, so what we don't know is what we don't know, but I just feel like that's still something that's lacking here where it's like, Oh, well we might as well just take a three to win. Yeah. Creighton's in a world of hurt right now. The only other thing I would say about Creighton, and I feel like people might be thinking I'm coming down too hard on them, but I don't think they're getting enough criticism for this free fall. 
everyone was making fun of Carolina going from one to unranked and sure they deserve it. But I think in the back of our minds, we were saying to ourselves, or at least students of the game, people who really watch that college basketball were saying to themselves, I don't know if they should be preseason number one, but you know what? We'll entertain it. They did get to the national title game. They brought everyone back. I'll entertain it. Fine. I always thought Houston should have been number one. People at other schools being number one, but Carolina got made fun of pretty good. Fine. No, I feel like nobody's dumping on Creighton right now. I don't understand why, because in the off season, all I was told was how they're unbeatable in the big East, how they're going to run through that conference, how Baylor Shireman raises their ceiling. When in reality, I personally don't think Shireman raises never, never thought Shireman was going to raise their ceiling all that much. I think it was dependent on Kalkrenner, who we now see is incredibly valuable to that team. And then not only are they not the favorites right now, as we sit to win the big East, there's actually another clear cut favorite in UConn. I don't think anyone's really, th- I mean, they got to pick themselves up off the mat quick because Big East play is coming. St. John's is looking good. Like we mentioned, UConn, Marquette's not not looking too shabby. This this conference is up for grabs when everyone was saying it's a runaway for Creighton. Well, you know what else is in shambles? Just the preseason rankings in general. Could well, I been, always say preseason they, rankings. I know, but and we know that, right? But this year is especially bad. The best team in the country, it, well, I mean, Maybe the best team in the country. Well, maybe the two best teams in the country weren't even ranked. UNC, yeah. the number one team, yeah, is out. Like, yeah, right. And then, I mean, we don't we, we we have a great interview coming up, so I won't rant on this too much. But how writers pick where they put teams each week is I, there's got to be no real science that these they they are just throwing darts out there. You got teams that beat other ranked teams, and then guys put them further back in their rankings. There's been three instances this year so far of writers putting the wrong team in like Mississippi Valley state instead of Mississippi state, uh, Arizona state versus Arizona. Yeah. And it's like, guys, what, this is not like, we do this as a hobby, right? Like this is your whole job. You had to go get like multiple degrees in this for this shit. Like, could you at least put some effort into the poll or at least, Five minutes. You need to put more effort into the poll than we do into this program. Let's just put it that way. And that's not, you put a ton of effort into it, but I'm just saying that's not setting the bar all that high to say, okay, I get paid hundred grand a year. Maybe I could actually look at the sport that I'm getting paid to come. Yeah. I've just learned to not waste my time with rankings or even the people that vote on it. It's an effort in, in time wasting, I suppose, because look, we know what happens in the tournament. And, and it, none of that really matters until tourney time, because then you talk about paths, you talk about matchups and stuff like that. Sure. But well, and I'm not even I mean, complaining about the rankings. I don't like the, the yeah, rankings just itself don't bother. I'm just saying that like my bigger complaint is what are all these people getting paid to do? I Attention guess, to detail. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Very last on the playbill before we get to this Omar Samhan interview games to look forward to Taylor. I know we got a delicious slate on saturday give us some highlights of some games we should be looking forward to and uh what you're most looking forward to amongst those games yeah saturday we have uh probably our biggest basketball day of the year so far um we'll probably end up being one of the two or three maybe four best days in college basketball uh of the season uh we've got uh houston number five uh going to virginia we've got alabama uh against Gonzaga in Birmingham. We've got Indiana and Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. We've got Tennessee at Arizona, the Titch Bowl, which of course Shark is 
not here the week of the Titch Bowl, of course, classic. I feel like he did this last year too. He might have the Titch Bowl. I feel like this is the second year in a row. Um, North Carolina, Ohio State, obviously North Carolina reeling, but that's you know two big name programs there. UCLA, Kentucky. Speaking of big name programs, uh, they're playing at MSG, uh, and then even you know UConn at Butler at Hinkle. You know that at the beginning of the year didn't seem like it was going to be that big of a game. Um, you know, UConn still should have the clear advantage in that game, but Hey, you know, some Hinkle magic. So we've got at least, you know, that's about a dozen or let's call it, let's call it 10 games, uh, that, that are really just top notch tournament games. Really? We're talking about like sweet 16 or elite eight games. Really? I mean, that, that Tennessee, Arizona game, both teams that we like, not just because they're our schools, but I think we love the metrics on both those teams. That's easily could be an elite eight game. Houston, Virginia could be the fucking national championship game. You know what I mean? Like, this is this big-time matchups we got here. So very excited. Uh, it's just the perfect time of year for these games. Hunkered down everywhere. As I was watching uh, football this last Sunday, every game had snow or rain, I felt like. You know, it's just that time of year. And couldn't have a better uh, slate of games on Saturday than this to really just hunker down and, and, and watch some college basketball. Yeah, grab some eggnog for sure. It is the season. I need to get my second my second uh, carton, I guess. I was going to say, where are you at in that? Right just now? one, just one, but I will be getting my second here shortly for this weekend. But yeah, huge games. I think the two matchups I'm looking forward to the most, and we do our best to highlight some of the smaller guys. You can't do that when it's Indiana, Kansas, and UCLA, Kentucky. Man, those are four of the top five programs ever. I mean, it's that, that's insane to get those four teams – playing against each other. I'm very much looking forward to that. I, I cannot wait. I think uh, I'm looking forward to that UCLA Kentucky game specifically because two teams that uh, have a lot, have some very high hopes this year, but uh, have suffered a couple. Uh, both of them have two losses earlier in the se- early in the season. Uh, it's almost like a champions classic type of game really where it's like, all right, who's going to, cause it's at MSG, you know, so it's like, okay, who's going to really take the step forward? This is going to be the resume builder for them. Uh, and then who's going to sit here and look and be like, man, all right, we got three losses. We were ranked top 10 before, you know, preseason. And we're, you know, we've got three losses before Christmas. So that one specifically, obviously Arizona and Tennessee, but outside of that, uh, that game. And then Houston, Virginia, that game might be a 42 to 43, but boy, it's going to be fun. Hey, Virginia can play some offense now. I, I, I'm excited for that one. That's going to be a game between two physical and and gritty teams for sure. But I think Virginia can play a little bit of offense. Marcus Sasser's got to step up for Houston. I don't think he's had the greatest start to the season, so we'll see if he elevates his play against a great team in Virginia. And then a huge week for UCLA. They got Maryland tonight, and then, of course, the Kentucky game. They could make some serious movement. I have a feeling I'll mention that Maryland-UCLA game. Uh, here in just a few minutes. Well, then I'm looking forward to that, Taylor. But before we get to that, we got to get to Omar Samhan. Like I said, the low top legend, former St. Mary Gale, an all-time tournament performer. Again, a man who really helped us fall in love with the game of college basketball. It was a real treat, a pleasure to welcome Omar Samhan to the program. Enjoy, everyone. 
All right, we now welcome to the program a player that was honestly one of our favorite guys to watch back when we were in high school. Obviously, followed him in our college days, but truly integral into why we love college basketball and have this podcast. A West Coast Conference all freshman team selection, a first team all West Coast Conference selection, and the West Coast Conference Defensive Player of the Year, his senior year. We got Omar Samhan in the building here on Theater and College Oops. Omar, how are you, sir? I mean, I was doing good until you brought up the defensive player of the year. Why did I, I not? Still, I mean, Matt Bolden got player of the year that year. And I'll t- I talked to Matt about it before. It's just not realistic because there's no <laughs> way. Mark Few, like, did something to the votes. I don't know what he did, but something happened. It's great that you bring that up because I was refreshing myself on your accolades here. And I'm like, how the hell did this not guy not win the West Coast Conference player of the year that year? People so I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up. People always say like, oh, and WCC player of the year. And I never correct them. I just go with it because that's what it was. <laughs> I, that, that's good. What did I say here? I said, West Coast, did I miss the all freshman team selection? I got uh, all no, you had everything, but I, you know, I'm still upset that I was defensive. They only gave me defensive player of the year because they knew I should have been player of the year. They wanted to keep me quiet. Omar. So this, we're going to get into this because obviously there is a huge rivalry between St. Mary's and Gonzaga. I think whenever people talk about the West Coast Conference, they always talk about Gonzaga's wins. And I'm like, you know, St. Mary's has a lot of those as well. And it was built on the back of guys like you, Mickey McConnell, Delhi. Uh, who do we need to who do we need to hit up to make sure, you know, Mark Few needs to stop stops doing all that politic? And what do we have to do, Omar? Tell us. I don't I think Andy Katz is the biggest culprit. <laughs> but but outside of that, I mean, Few's done a great job, and in the Zags, I mean, even watching the guys they have in the in the NBA, it's they're having some success, you know. So it's it's uh it's special for such a little conference, you know. I saw Delhi play a few nights ago against the Bucks. I went to the game, and then uh, Lawndale, obviously, I saw him, you know, getting in fights and everything with the Pelicans. So I think that uh, both both schools have done a great job, but the media definitely. Uh, tends to promote Gonzaga a little more. So I guess let's dive into that a little. Obviously, Randy Bennett's been there for 20, I think this is his 21st or 22nd season at St. Mary's. Um, you know, how does a, how does a school like St. Mary's in a conference that you said has a little smaller uh, than, than the other conferences we know, like how does a school like St. Mary's hang on to a guy like Randy Bennett, uh, you know, and, and maybe just talk a little bit about your relationship with Randy Bennett? I mean, Randy's the best. But uh, I think the school has done a good job of supporting them as much as they can with the budget they have. I think the area is so beautiful. Moraga is unbelievable. So I think those were big draws for him. But uh, he, he loves it there, and he's happy, and he's had options to leave. And there's been some of them where, oh, Randy's taking this. And sure enough, he just stays year after year and wins 25 games every year. So we're trying to get back to that Sweet 16 uh, again or maybe even further. We have a decent team this year. We've He's San Diego State. So we're pulling for him, but now nah, that's my guy. I still talk to him all the time. I, mean, I feel like I play for him. You know, still he'll call you. You get nervous. You're like, you got to take it. It's coach. <laughs> that's incredible. Hey, we don't get a ton of players on every single week, but um, can you tell us a little bit about your recruiting process? What did that look like for you coming out of high school? Why St. Mary's? Why Randy Bennett? Sort of take us back into maybe your junior, senior year of high school and then how you ended up at St. Mary's. Yeah, I mean, I, I played at San Ramon High, which is a small local school uh, in Danville. 
so I wasn't super highly recruited. I was fat as hell too. That didn't help. So, you know, I didn't have many offers. Uh, I actually ended up committing to USF and then some guys were transferring and USF kind of pulled my scholarship because they thought some of the transfers were better than me. So I was working out at an open gym at St. Mary's and Bennett was like, Hey, you should, I'll get you a scholarship. You should come here. I didn't have many other options. I did it. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. The coach at USF was fired soon after. I was 8-0 against USF in my career, and uh, it was it was awesome. And I'm glad it – I'm so lucky to have gone there because now, you know, I'm still from that area. So when I go back home, I can go to the college. I go to a lot of games. I couldn't imagine if I played, you know, out of state or somewhere else and have to, you know, try to get back to, to your college, whereas I'm I'm there all the time. I've actually been to St. Mary's campus at least four or five times in my life, actually. And it is a beautiful area and a beautiful campus. That new rec center they built a couple of years ago is also, it's, it's beautiful. So that's a, yeah. that's some real firsthand knowledge right there. But so how much, going back to that time period in your life, how much had you followed St. Mary's basketball uh, previous to your recruitment? Like, was it a, something in the forefront of your vision or was it something that was just around you as you were watching basketball? Well, actually, I would go to games a lot because the, the tickets were a lot cheaper than the Warriors and they're pretty close to, they're closer to Danville than, than the Warriors. So uh, I would go to games a lot and I, I was one of the guys, I didn't have many options, but I, even if I did, I, I would have liked to go to St. Mary's. It was, it was a school I grew up knowing. Yeah. So what I want to do, Omar, we got to talk about this Villanova game, man. One of the most electric performances, most brilliant individual performances from you, Racked up 32. I think you had, what, 61 points in a span of two games yeah. during that run, right? But the Villanova game, man, knocking off number two, unbelievable upset. I think a lot of people might be able to pinpoint as that being the arrival stamp for the St. Mary Mary's Gales, as we know them today. Uh, let's take it back, I don't know, maybe a few days before the game. Can you tell us a little bit about what the game plan was going into that matchup, your guys' mindset? Take us into that locker room if you can. Any stories uh, from that from that team? Yeah, I mean, great team, and nobody really expected us to, to do it or to be in that situation. We lost Patty Mills the year before. Other guys who were great pros, not in the NBA, but like Diamond Simpson, you know, Leary. So we had lost a lot of talent. People didn't think we were going to be that good. And then in the WCC championship, we beat Gonzaga, and I played terrible. Like, I didn't even score the first half. I looked crazy. So I was pumped for the tournament. I knew I was going to make up for the Gonzaga game. I'm lucky we still won because Mickey played well. And uh, I was kind of ready to go off. And then we, our goal was to win a game in the tournament because we had been before but had never won one. We lost to Miami with Patty uh, a year prior. So we just wanted to win a game. We beat Richmond, and then it was kind of like – jokey laughing in the locker room let's see what we can do let's try to win another one so we felt like we had nothing to lose in a situation where like Villanova has everything to lose Scotty Reynolds is a uh, you know all-american they were number one in the country at one point and we're just going in there with like Deladoa's mouthpiece is way too big for his mouth and he's like banking in threes they had no idea what was going on and it was just I said I was confident we were going to get it done you know I just saw the, as the game was going on and Scotty was struggling. So I, I was in a good place. Yeah. So when you, you know, obviously you're at St. Mary's, you, you, like you said, nobody thought you could do it. Uh, the previous year, you guys have been left out of the tournament. And then the year before that, you'd beat Miami in the tournament. So, you know, not everybody's thinking 
extremely highly or, you know, knew a lot about you. So when you beat a team like Villanova and you're on the East Coast, you're in Providence, Rhode Island, you know, you're in the Northeast. There's a million Villanova fans there because it's a short drive. You know, how much like how fulfilling is that to be like this this kid from San Ramon, right, or from Danville and, and under-recruited, and then all of a sudden you're scoring 30 points against one of the Blue Blood programs in the United States. Like, how fulfilling was that moment for you? Oh, uh, it, was, it was awesome. And uh, it's probably my best memory from basketball just because it was just so perfect. And the crazy part is a lot of the Nova fans were, like, showing love, like taking pictures and stuff. They were kind of impressed too, you know. It was a rare – the way it went down was so rare and not just myself, but even Delhi like falls over, he gets up and hits a three. There were just so many miracle moments in that game that even the fans were just kind of, kind of friendly about it. You know, they were taking pictures, asking for autographs. So it was a, it was a good, good, good day. And I'll never forget. Like I had trained that summer with some NBA players. And like the first text I got when I got back to my phone was Chauncey Billups. And he was like, yo, big fella, great game. I didn't even know he knew my number or who I was, you know? So I was, I was pretty hyped. That's incredible. This is this is like Detroit Pistons Chauncey Billups or was he on oh, the yeah, this this big shot? He's like the guy at this moment. So oh my we worked goodness. out at Impact in Vegas together. And I guess he texted the trainer, he watched the game, was like, Hey, what's his number? I'm gonna shoot him a text. So it was, it was big time. That's an amazing story. Who else who else were you training with outside of Chauncey? Uh Jermaine O'Neal, Al Harrington, uh Baron Davis would come. Impact's a huge, huge uh, NBA facility. So I was going there in college. It helped me a lot. That's amazing! What a story! How cool is that? Getting getting Billups, uh, getting a text from Chauncey Billups after playing the game of your life. Hey, Omar, you had mentioned in in that in that story that you were telling us uh, two really key buzzwords that I picked up on. One, impressed, and then two, uh, you, you had mentioned uh, some of the crazy shots, maybe fate uh, that led you to that victory. I'm going to start with impressed first, okay? Because I'm reading this article and doing my research. It's from Pete Thamel. Quote, hey, you impressed me tonight. Did I impress you? Do you remember <laughs> that exchange you had with Corey Stokes from Villanova? And is this true? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a true story. Um, before the game, he said something. There, I was I was always super friendly. Like, I don't know, it's basketball. You know, I'm, I've made it further than I should already. Like, this is fun for me. So I'd always be like, hey, guy, good luck tonight. And like, F you, da, da, da. Okay, keep that same energy when I have 30. So. He told I said something to him. He said something about like I'm not impressed by you or something. So after the game, I went up to him. I said, "Hey man, you're pretty impressive. Are you impressed yet?" <laughs> he was, he just walked away like, "Dude, leave me alone." But That's yeah, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed talking back and forth, but rarely would start it. It was always like me just kind of joking around, being friendly, and then those guys start going, and then now I feel comfortable really letting it loose. <laughs> no, see, I think I think he took the sort of kill him with kindness route as well. When you're like, "Hey, you were impressive." Yeah, and no, you were great, uh, and he was. <laughs> he played well. If the rest of those guys were like that, he would have won. So, I had to give him his props, but we got it done. Oh, that's an amazing story, and I love when you go, "Hey, I'll take your silence as a yes, Taylor." Uh, I'll, I'll kick it back to you. But this this article, man, you got to you got to read it. Basically, this exchange, I, I wanted to validate it with you, yeah. Omar. <laughs> so after that game, obviously, you guys get to the second weekend. What was that like? Uh, welcoming back to campus like I mean was I I still think it messed us up like I still think it's why we lose to Baylor because it was that like we thought we won the natty like you would have thought you we won the national championship you went to Moraga that day they had the fire trucks out police escort all the girls you've been trying to talk to are DMing you 
life is what it, you know, this is like it. We arrived. And now you got to go play Baylor, who's ready. And they are they don't give two shits about the Sweet 16. They're trying to win a nat, you know, national championship. So I think it hurt us, but it was incredible, the support and all the teachers and faculty that were out there. It was just, it was awesome. I mean, it's the epitome of being a big man on campus. You are the guy right th- then and there. And I mean, how, how, so what did you guys have to do to refocus? Like, could you sort of tell in the moment that this was going to be an uphill battle, reshifting our focus for Baylor? I I could, but it helped with the coaching staff because they, they grasped it. They weren't 21. You know, they understood this is like their livelihoods. You're not in this position every, every day. So the head coach at Washington state is Kyle Smith. He was our associate head coach on that team. And he was like, you guys didn't do shit yet. Let's go. Stop celebrating last week. That shit's over. So he helped a lot, but I think we were just kind of overmatched a little in that Baylor game too. So, I mean, St. Mary's is only 3,700 students. So it's like, there's, there's a non-zero chance that like every single student was there to greet you. Like when you got back. Like right. 4, exactly. People, no, right? Yeah. It's only like four <laughs> dorms they had to clear out, but <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a small school. When we sell out, every kid on campus went to the game. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Hey, we'll talk about that. Since you brought it up, talk about that. Uh, it's the McKeon athletic pavilion, right? Uh, uh, athletic center. Talk, talk about uh, your home court advantage. Cause you guys really do have a strong home court advantage there in Raga. No, we do. And, you know, the, the fans have, for a long time, have been ridiculous. And the kids, the, the students bring it, you know, bring the energy. And they're there early. We kind of stole some of Gonzaga's playbook on this. Like, an hour before the game, the Zags fans are already Don't say that. Hold on. Don't don't give them credit for anything, okay? Just don't, don't give them <laughs> any more credit than they need. They were the first ones to do it. And then I got on some of our my baseball buddies and rugby guys and then we start doing it and now it's been like 10 years and our guys are just there early ready signs so it's small everybody's on top of you it gets hot in there i mean it's it's definitely a home court advantage the walls are right behind the the basket we have a bunch of shooters in there so it's uh it's 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 a hard place to play and our goal as a team for the last since randy ben has been there is try to go undefeated at home so yeah. I think it's a realistic goal for him, given the environment. <laughs> absolutely is. Absolutely is. And again, this is all as a result of the foundation that you guys built back in like 2006, especially you, Omar. I want to double back to that Villanova game, though, because there's still some moments that I want your insight on. Mickey McConnell, you brought him up way at the top of this interview. He banks in a three with a minute 17 left in the game when it was tied at 65, man. Take us into your uh, perspective of the shot and what's going through your mind. It, it was a hundred percent. One of those, no, no, what are you doing? And then it goes in here. Like, All right, great shot. We're going to win. There's no way we lose this game. This guy, and it wasn't late shot clock. People always think it was like, he had to get it up. There's like 18 seconds on the shot clock. There's no reason to shoot it. He just wanted, he was just feeling it. That was, that was where he was. And I think it's unbelievable. He didn't start many games because Patty Mills played in front of him. So, like, his junior year is his first time starting. This is his first time playing real minutes in a big game. Not not his first time, but that season was his first time. So, you know, he gets to Nova. He has the confidence to shoot that with 17 seconds, a minute to go. Hits it. And I just remember Delhi hugs him. And I just look at Bennett and shake my head. And Bennett's like, yeah, we're going to win this game. Like, I, like, the coaches said that right when he hit it. Like, oh, it's it's when that starts falling, you know, it's just it's our night. 
So how often does this game come up in your uh, like former team group chat that you have with some of the former players that you used to play with? Is this like a once a year type of thing? Is it like every March, every third, <laughs> <laughs> every March? So yeah, they're not, we're not still talking about it in the summers or anything like that. We're not, we're not weird about it, but definitely March. We'll talk about it. And Nova's had some great success in the last few years. So it's always fun to watch that. Gail's actually played him in the tournament uh, two or three years ago. So it's uh it's something that's talked about a lot. And now I work on the I work as a sports agent now on the NBA side and I'll go to a lot of games and GMs or assistant GMs or assistant coach, someone always be like, Villanova. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they don't even remember I went to St. Mary's. They just remember like that big guy went crazy against Villanova. He did. Thirty two points, man. I mean I think you went what thirteen to sixteen. You also basically said shit. I should have gone sixteen to sixteen. I should have yeah. shot a hundred percent from the field. Was uh, was for you personally? Was the bucket just like a pool, and you were throwing a tennis ball into it? I mean, was what was your mindset into that game, and like you personally, when you start rolling? Yeah, I, I felt like I I couldn't miss there uh, after a few went in, and and then just with footwork and they had young bigs, I could kind of get where I wanted to. It was just a bad matchup because their, their senior big was too small. And then their guy that was big enough to guard me was a freshman. He couldn't move his feet that well. So I was just, I kind of had two or three moves I knew I was going to do depending on who was in and they just kept working. Yeah. We, we, we talk all the time, Taylor, about matchups, right? When it comes to picking your bracket and uh, obviously I think, I think a lot of people may have overlooked that. Um, but that, again, just an incredible game that I wanted to get, get some of your thoughts on, but also Omar in the grand scheme of things, I think we look at a St. Mary's these days as a perennial tournament team, a team that has those expectations of vying for perfection at home and having their name announced on selection Sunday. Can you take us into a little bit about the culture that, that you built? Because I pinpoint that mid two thousands era as hey this was the foundation that's built to what we see St. Mary's like today. Can you tell us a little bit about establishing the culture that you guys did? Yeah, I mean I think that there were some guys that came before me like Daniel Kicker, EJ Rowland that were there were good players and got us in the tournament, but we had never had like success in the tournament and then my freshman year we were like 17 and 15. We were crazy we were terrible. I, I redshirted that year and we we were not very good. So the the year I played, the freshman year, we were terrible as well. And then my sophomore year going into that summer, I just told Coach Bennett, like, we're never going to be home in March again. As long as you're coaching me, we'll never be in Moraga in March again. And he was like, okay, sounds good. I'm like, no, you don't understand. So he goes, if you're serious, you'll be here at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Well, I showed up at 6 a.m. for the next five months. So he knew I was serious. And then slowly but surely, other guys would trickle in. And then after summer, this new freshman showed up named Patrick Mills. And that was kind of like the wheels were up because all of us were in shape. We were ready. We had worked harder than anybody at St. Mary's had ever worked. And we added Patty Mills and we made our first tournament run. We ended up losing Miami, but we were top 25 that year. And then my junior year was ridiculous. We should have, I thought we were a final four team. We had the longest winning record. We were like 22. We won 22 games straight. Mills had just got off the Olympic run. So he was coming in just crushing everybody, going for 40 against Oregon. We're beating everybody. We got up to like number 12, uh, 15 in the country or 16 in the country. 
and Patty breaks his hand. And then we end up losing like three in a row. One thing leads to another. Next thing you know, we're not in the tournament. We go NIT. So by the time senior year comes around, this thing's – we if we don't have one of these, we're – we're just like the guys before us. We need one that it can't just be a tournament. It's got to be a run in the tournament. And I knew it. I felt the pressure going into it. Like, if I want to – I live in the Bay Area still. If I want to be remembered out here, i got to win some games in March. And uh, we did. And it was awesome. It was it was definitely a collective of those three or four years. And it changed the culture. And still to this day, those guys wake up at six in the summers and, and, and still go to the gym. And RB will always tell them, one more start of this. And all the kids are, like, flicking me off behind his back because none of them want to wake up. But uh, it does, it does pay off that early regimen, you know, come tournament time, you're not so nervous. You know, I woke up every morning. How many of these guys did? Let's play. If, if Randy Bennett or St. Mary's ever wins or goes to a final four, wins a national championship, I hope that you, yeah, you, you sit there and be like, Hey, that started, that started with me, man. That started with me, you know? So, so going back to your junior I'm rushing for, the floor. I'm on the court. Yeah, right. Like daddy. <laughs> right. Yeah, no I'll doubt. Right. right. <laughs> so going back to your junior year for a second, and you mentioned this, I'm not trying to bring up any bad, bad times for you or anything, but do you remember, happen to remember Dick Vitale's like 10 minute rant about St. Mary's missing the tournament in your junior year? Yes. Yeah. I, so I, I don't know if you know this about us, but we're Arizona alum. So uh, Arizona got in instead sorry, of so, yeah. So sorry, man. So I just wanted to give you an apology on behalf of theater and college hoops. I'm sorry <laughs> they had to go through that, brother. But you guys made a run at least. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we we really shouldn't have been necessarily no, in that tournament, but I pre- but appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I hope you don't have any ill will towards us uh, or Arizona. No, we just but, hey. we got so screwed that year it was crazy. And then somehow we're playing in the Elite Eight of NIT at San Diego State, but we had already beat San Diego State that year. So I don't know what the committee was thinking, but yeah, it, it all worked out because we ended up coming back that next year and really doing something. But if you put Patty Mills in that tournament, he would have done. He would have made some noise too. <laughs> It's hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. It's amazing between him, between Delhi, obviously Mickey McConnell. Can you speak to a little bit about that pipeline from Australia? Yeah, Mickey's actually from Arizona. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, the other Sorry. two definitely Australia, and we have a few Australians on the team every year. Uh, Daniel Kicker was the first one, um, or actually Adam Caporn was the first one, and then he brought Kicker, and then it was kind of they were our best two players. So Bennett figured out quickly there's some talented guys over there. So he started recruiting over there, and and I think it's been a great pipeline for us. And now it's to the point where if if you're a stud in Australia, you probably want to come to St. Mary's. Yeah. It seems as if every single, like you had mentioned, every two, three years, there's a name that pops up. And I think Delvadova is one. Obviously, Patty Mills has been amazing NBA champion, but you know what? So is Delhi. Did you ever think in practices – in spending time with with him as much time as you did, Matt Delvadova, did you ever think he would be going toe to toe with Steph Curry, winning an NBA championship, and standing up on that podium? No, I did not. <laughs> but if you took his work ethic and how how he approached the game every day, even as a freshman, you knew he was going to get a lot better as time went on. But even as a senior, I don't know how many, you know, obviously he didn't get drafted, so I don't think a bunch of NBA guys saw it either, right? But I think that he 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 found his niche and just kept getting better and better. 
and for us, I played with him as a freshman. So he was like the most advanced freshman I'd played with besides Patty. But he was still a freshman. So, no, I didn't see it. I was even surprised. But once – I mean, I went to most of those games. I was flying to Cleveland to see him and to watch those games. And he went to the hospital after one of them because he was so dehydrated from Carden Curry. But, uh, yeah, I, I I didn't think he would be able to go toe-to-toe like he did. Just because many people can't with Curry. You know, it's not really a knock on Dell as much as it is a – Steph Curry, Steph Curry. And he he torched us in Moraga. We ended up winning the game, but he he was torching us. Wait, you guys played Davidson? In the NIT that year, junior year. That was the one good part about it. We got Steph. We ended Steph's career. Two nights later, we end Clay Thompson's college career because Washington State came two nights later. Oh, my goodness. Someone needs to do a deep dive and ask those boys about Matt Delvadova then because he's in their nightmares. (laughs) But Steph, I was – I was joking with him early before the game and he wouldn't say anything back. So then captains go to the middle to shake hands and Patty was our captain and Curry's their captain. So Patty like reaches his hand out to shake Curry's hand. I pull Patty's hand back. I'm like, don't shake his hand, man. Just play. And he just kind of shakes his head, like whatever. And like the first play of the game, they said a high pick and roll. Patty kind of chases it. I show up and I play, like I play this as good as you can play it. I'm up. And he just launches it right over my fingertips. While it's in air, he's like, too slow, fat boy. And I turn around, the ball just in the net. And I was like, oh, this guy's different. (laughs) I I better not talk too much to this kid. (laughs) He did not say that. Oh, my God. He was was a silent assassin back then. He would talk trash during the game. But it's been awesome because I run into him. I ran into him a few times, you know, since, obviously, just being in the Bay. Always super friendly, nice. We kind of joke about that game. So, is a, so a good memory own, for us. No What's doubt. that? Outside of your own teammates, outside of your own teammates, is is Steph the best player that you played for or with or against when you were in college? You think? Yes, it was close. Give me some, other, give me some other can. Give me some other candidates. Well, the, the injury killed it. But my freshman year, we played against Washington, and they had Brandon Roy, and he was man. Brandon Roy was no joke when he was when he was going and when we played against him you could tell he had like 30 something against us um obviously morrison i mean at the college level right some of these guys were more dominant but nothing like curry for what happened next and i, I joked like yeah we, we beat you in the nit you ran off four nba championships like you're all right <laughs> you know like, we, we can trade places if you want oh that's amazing that's amazing uh and and some of these some of these names like we had said patty mills he's huge contributor for some of those Spurs teams. Uh, and and it may have been a little bit more evident when you were talking about him because it's, it sounds like Patty was just terrorizing dudes in, in practice as well. Oh, yeah, we knew right away. Even his first few practices, he didn't really do much. He was fresh off the plane from Australia. He was jet lagged. And I'm like, you know, I'm talking shit. Like, this guy's overrated. We had like a junior or senior guard that I want, you know, like I've known that guy longer. I want him to be our guard. So I was like going opposite. I'm like, man, this Patty kid's not that good. And then we played our first blue and white scrimmage. And he had 20 points at halftime. And I walk over to Ben. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, I will, I'll never say that again. <laughs> and it was up like that. I mean, he just kept going. He had 37 in the fourth game of the year against Oregon as a freshman. And we were like, okay, this, this dude's the real deal. So how does uh, like playing with these guys that ended up having long NBA careers, how does, you know, how has that helped you? Cause you're on the agency side of things for the NBA. How does, you know, those specific relationships, how has that helped you understand like 
who's going to make it, who's not going to make it, you know, your relationships with these, with these prospects or whatever, how, you know, talk about how those relationships have helped you kind of blossom into, into your current role and, you know, with agency. Yeah, no, I think it made me, I think it's made me really good at it. Um, because I, I know both paths really well, like went to college with both paths. One is superstar come in all the hype and deliver. And one is just like grind away every day and get better and get better. And, you know, if you can find the Della Dovas, there's a lot of money in that, you know, and there's, there are more Della Dovas out there than Patties, as far as like guys that will develop later. And most of your favorite players in the NBA are those guys. Like, why do you think Steph was at Davidson? You know, why do you think Kawhi was at San Diego State or Paul George at Fresno State? I mean, the list goes on and on. If you look at the all-stars, they're either all like first round picks, like the first pick in the draft or like the 20th pick in the draft, you know? So I think that, I think that understanding both those paths helped and seeing like Delhi took less money with the Cavs that ended up leading to like a $50 million deal with the Bucks. So some of like the business side of it too is not always, you know, getting leverage at the right time and not always pulling the trigger on, on the deal today, but thinking long-term and Delhi done a great job at it. And so has Patty. I mean, they both made 50, 60 million. I mean, Patty's made even more. So they've, they've had an unbelievable career and, I mean, Mickey McConnell is just as good as those guys. So at some point you have to value like the agent and situations and, you know, and I think that those, that's, that's something I always took from it is playing with all three of them. Mickey might be the best one, or at least in college, he was, he was tough. So, you know, I think that that, that's the biggest thing I took from it is just the business is tough. Not everybody's going to make it, but you know, it's not always the blue chip guy that's going to be an NBA great. So Omar, how did you make that transition to representing players? You know, it, it, in speaking with former players, it can't be easy to essentially hang up your shoes and make a pivot to off the court actions as opposed to impacting the game on the court. Can you tell us a little bit about when you basically came to terms with, okay, I'm no longer playing, but I want to still be involved in this game? Yeah, so I... I kind of got sucked into the business because I was playing overseas and I'm a talkative, friendly guy. So I would make like when we play the other team, I talk to the GM, get my phone number, you know, just kind of network while I'm over there. And then a lot of the GMs would call me direct for the next job. So, you know, I talked to the GM from Germany. And then two days later, my agent from America would call me and say, hey, I talked to a GM from Germany. And I'm like, "Okay, I should probably get my license. So I got my license and started doing my own deals. And then a few teammates over the years would come to me and then I started recruiting some college guys. And the next thing you know, I'm in year 10 of my career and I have players that are starting to really blossom overseas. I don't have any NBA guys at that time. And uh, I just, I started trying to get on with a real agency because I was just doing this by myself. So I had a chance to work at Clutch Sports with Rich Paul. And uh, I was like, cool. And the one thing they said was like, you can't play basketball anymore. No problem. I was in Mexico, not making good money. I was like, done, no problem. <laughs> so that was two years ago. And uh, I had Marjan Bochamp in the draft this year, the 24th pick to Milwaukee. So it's been going great. And got some guys overseas are doing really well. I actually represent Jordan Ford, who's a St. Mary's Gale. He's with the Kings uh, Stockton team right now, hoping for a call up. But uh, it's been awesome to be able to represent St. Mary's guys and still be around. 
it's, it's been great. I went to the – that's why I was at the Bucks uh, kings game, see Delhi. So it's, it's been really cool. And the Nets played a few weeks ago, got to see Patty. So it's, it's, been, it's been a great, uh, great experience. I mean, being – there's something with St. Mary's Gales and the Kings, man. All Delhi does is change culture and win, huh? The Kings stink <laughs> for – for decades, they bring in Delhi. I don't know if he's necessarily the the main guy, but he's helping. He's he's brings that championship experience. Uh, and then you mentioned Jordan Ford as well. There's something in the water in I, I don't know. Do we consider Sacramento the Bay Area? That's uh, close enough. <laughs> yeah. But here's a fun fact for you: Mike Brown played for Randy Bennett. There really At is San some Diego. synergies. At San Diego, also on that team was Eric Musselman, the head coach of Arkansas. That's crazy. Randy Bennett's yeah. been doing this a while, huh? Too long. <laughs> he coached he coached Musselman. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, uh, Omar, I only got a few more quick hitters that I want to get your thoughts on. You've been so gracious with your time. Some of these stories have been amazing. I want to see if I can pull another one out of you. Um, we'll start first with the big man play. You were so effective when you were playing. What are some of the glaring differences that you might see in big men today? versus when you were playing you can say both personally and versus uh you know the opponents that you went up against but what are some of the glaring differences you see for better or worse uh between big men today and big men big men from your generation i mean it's it's hard and we have these talks all the time and i think that post moves are like a lost arc it's rare you see a big just catch on the block and go to work but with that in mind the best bigs in the league do like Embiid is doing that. Jokic is doing that. So at the top, they still do it. But I think the big man position has been watered down and it's a lot softer than it was when I played. And part of that is because everybody was gearing up when Shaq was in the league and some of those bigs, you kind of had to go get a big like that. Whereas now, I mean, you're going to get a big for two games a year with Jokic and and uh, and uh, uh, Embiid. So I think that it's it's definitely changed a lot. And the skill level you could argue has gotten better because bigs are able to shoot from further out and, and able to dribble more. I see Christian Woods shooting step backs and all this kind of stuff, but the skill level it takes for a real post pedigree and footwork and, and different moves is, is a tough skill set too. So I think that uh, the skill sets have changed, not necessarily gotten bigger, better, but uh, you know, just in general, bigs today are, are a little bit softer than the bigs back in the day. And they, they, they can be. All right, Omar, man, one of the big reasons why we loved you so much, obviously your play, obviously you were representing a team that was an underdog, but also the low tops. You got to talk <laughs> about the low tops, man. Oh, man, my Adidas low tops. So they just, uh, we were doing a workout in the summer in Arizona and uh, I forgot my basketball shoes. So I ended up wearing these low top runners and I didn't miss a shot. And then I was like, these are my shoes from now on. And then I just kept it, kept the low tops all year. And they kind of became a story. Everybody was talking about them just because they were just a ridiculous shoe to be wearing and to be crushing in them. So it was a, it was a funny story, but yeah, just, I was, I'm really superstitious. So if something's working, I, I won't, I won't change it. I wear the same socks every game. The shoes worked. I'm wearing them every game. Was there any concern from like the training staff or the coaches being like, Omar, you're a big man playing basketball. I'm nervous for your ankles. 
there was, and then they wanted to like uh, mandatory tape my ankles, but I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't believe in any of that. I'm not moving that fast. I'm so big and slow. Like you gotta, gotta be like athletic to sprain an ankle, you know, like I'm barely moving. I'm not shifty. So I felt fine. And sure enough, I knock on wood, never had an injury or, or anything with my ankles. So. I love it. I love it. The look was, was very, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was, you know, very specific. Like that's how I remember Omar Samhan with the baggy shorts, the, the calf high sort of socks, the low tops, man. And it was effective. You're, you're nothing, if not, you know, very, uh, self-aware in terms of how you played your game, but man, you were effective as hell. Yeah. No, and that's, I, I, I knew I wasn't sexy. <laughs> I'm still not. <laughs> and, uh, I, I just, if I could score every time doing a jump hook, I'd do it. And as crazy as it is, I tell my clients this still today, guys get away from it. Like guys do a move two, three times it works. Now they want to show you their other moves. Screw that. I'm, I'm doing the same move all night. I'm going for 30. We're going to win. I don't care what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. No, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, we'll get you out of here on these last couple of quick ones. Toughest place to play when you were playing. Gonzaga. Easily. The loudest. It wasn't tough for me. I always would crush them, but it was it was loud. So yeah, I say Gonzaga was the loudest uh, place to play. Okay. How about the worst place to play? When I what I mean by that is there's zero juice. You're a man clearly who gets up for every game, but I'm talking about a venue where you're like, damn, this is tough for even me to get hyped. Yeah, that LA trip. I think it's better now, but that LA trip is pretty bad. Pepperdine LMU. I like Pepperdine. It'd be like Arsenio Hall and like three parents at the game. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Hey, LMU, your... It'd be like Bimbo, uh, uh, Bill, uh, Bo, Bo Kimball. Like they retired his jersey that night. Why would you pick St. Mary's on that night? <laughs> it's like, you know, they finally had a good crowd. We stomp them and they're retiring this guy's jersey. So it was, uh, those were crowds that were always a little quiet. And I think they've gotten better. Pepperdine's a lot better now. I know Romar's done a good job there. So, I think it's gotten better, but those are trips. You're just not, you know, there's like 20 people in the crowd uh, and I'm talking loud. I'm talking, I'm beating my chest. It's just not the right environment for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, so did, did coach coach Bennett at least let you guys head out into Malibu or anything? Like, no, I mean, there, no, there's RB some redeeming the qualities. Oh, RB was the worst. We'd have like 9 PM curfews. He would sit in the lobby. You know, some coaches just tell you, Hey, this is a curfew. They don't really check. RB's checking. You better be in that room. I've had many rough nights with that. We come back from the road trip. We won. We've had huge wins on the road. Come home and run. Because after you win, you want to go out a little. And now we, now we have a problem with RB. Hey, man, that's how you establish that culture. That's how you get to a point where 16 years later, I'm looking at you guys as a perennial NCAA tournament team. So um, individually, who was the toughest guy you had to guard? I mean, you've mentioned a lot of amazing names, but take it outside of practice. I'm talking about in a game, and I can't imagine you were guarding Steph Curry every single possession, right? Tell us about a guy that you had to plan for and then you ended up guarding in the game. That was your toughest stick. I would say at the college level was a uh... – as crazy as it sounds, he's my guy, so I'm okay with it. But uh, John Bryant at Santa Clara, because he was just so big and he had really good touch, and you knew they were running the ball to him every time. There's just nothing you can really do. Like, your best defense against him is, like, 
don't let him catch because <laughs> if he catches it, it's it's going to be rough. And we ended up playing together in Germany, and he won MVP of the league that year. And our team was really really good. But uh, he he's just he was just a big body in college that you didn't see too many of those. Yeah, that's a great. I played that seemed to be. I played other guys, number two pick in the draft, all these other guys. But there's bigger names. But straight matchup, John Bryant was a monster. That's awesome, Omar. And that's honestly the reason why we have you guys on is because we want some of those deeper, uh, deeper cut names, right? We're we're a podcast that everyone knows about the Drew Timmies of the world, but we need to get to know. God, well, I wish I was. I wish we were oh. at the same time. <laughs> Oh, you don't the headband? Mustache out. I oh, the mustache. Ready. I've been ready for him. <laughs> that would have been a good battle. I'll tell you what. Only observing him through the TV, but having gotten to know you a little bit more, man, that would have been an epic matchup of trash for talking sure. that I would have loved. I, hey, I know you don't start it, but you'll end it. Oh, yeah. And I actually, I saw him at the uh, like Chicago pre-draft last year because he entered the draft for a little. And I was like, hey, you don't know who I am, but, like, we're arch enemies. And he started laughing. He was like, St. Mary's, right? Like, he kind of did know the, the 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 story of it all. So, it, it's forever. I, I I will always feel that way. I don't want to recruit guys from up there. You know, it's a real it's a real rivalry. And now Bennett and Few are kind of friendly. I don't like that. I'm not, I'm not supporting that at all. We need to be enemies. That's what makes it so great is that it's a real rivalry. And uh, I'm excited for this year. This, this year, it's more even than, than in the past, so I'm excited. For sure. That tournament in Vegas, obviously you got the regular season games, but that tournament, you know, conference tournament in Vegas is always one of the, the better ones, especially of the mid-majors. I love staying up late watching the West Coast Conference Tournament for sure. Omar, I'm going to get you out of here on this. You've been amazing, but this is what we do with every single guest that we have on. We have this segment called Bring Them Up on Stage. Omar, is there anyone that you can recommend that I reach out to that would be willing to jump on theater and college hoops and share some stories like you were able to do. Whew, I got a lot of good ones. Um, I'm open it to all feedback. Yeah. Well, how, how do you want St. Mary's guy? You want outside of St. Mary's? We'll, we'll start with outside. That would be a great one. That would oh, yeah. be amazing. You think I could get in touch with, with Delhi? I can text him on it for sure. Uh, a few other guys, there was a, like, I don't know if you remember Santa Clara beat, North Carolina when they were number one in the country and their best player was this guy named Jerome Perkins. He ends up coaching the Brooklyn Nets. He's a pro for a long time. He coaches the Brooklyn Nets and uh, he, he has some pretty cool stories just because that Santa Clara's team, he was a freshman with Nash and kind of seen, you know, the Nash days. So he would be a good one, but uh, any of those guys, Mickey McConnell, he's still coaching at St. Mary's. That'd be fun. I know Mickey would do it for sure. Yeah. Let's, so, I'd love to get that. That's I mean, those three are awesome, and I don't want to have you sit up. I got a great one for you. I don't even know why. Let's think. hear it. Nate Sestina. From Kentucky? Big, big white kid from Kentucky. He's my client. He's awesome. He's a great talker, and he has some unreal stories, especially with Maxie and, and, and some of the guys he was playing with. Can I tell you something, Omar? Yeah. I DM'd this man. Oh, you did? A while That's ago. Awesome. So. I got I got go, I, I got left on I got left on red. Um, so oh, I might have to look. I'll reach out to to Perk, right? I'll 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 try and maybe if we can get Mickey on. But if you can send a good word, no, to I Nate, got Nate. I got Nate. No problem. All right, man. Son, hey. He's my client. I'm calling him right now. 
<laughs> I appreciate you, Omar. I hope you had a great time. This was amazing for us. Some of the stories you were able to provide, like we'll, we'll remember this one for a long time. So Omar Samhan, the legend, the low top legend, man. Thank you so much for jumping onto the program. Hey, thank you. And thanks for being so kind. This, this boosted my ego a little. I needed this. Hey, no need to, to boost the ego. The the results, the accolades speak for themselves. <laughs> hey, appreciate we'll, you. We'll follow up on Nate. Thanks, Omar. Take care. All right. We want to thank Omar for jumping onto the program once again. That was a lot of fun, Taylor. One of our one of our idols watching college hoops. It, it, he's he's an open book, man. He's funny. He's tr- he's a trash talker. All the articles I read about him and comparing it to what he was like, I guess, in person. I put that in quotations. It tracked. It tracked. Too slow, fat boy. <laughs> that was that was just great. Oh that, my god, Steph. Yeah. I mean, so good. and to just have uh, that, like I was saying at the beginning of the program, to have those type of relationships that you can create with someone like Steph Curry. And I mean, Omar Samhan was big time in comparison to your average college basketball player. But um, yeah, to be able to go to a school like St. Mary's, your kind of hometown school, you know, beat a team like Villanova in the tournament and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson's careers and, you know, back to back. Uh, you know, situations. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool uh, stories there. And really nice that he's been able to kind of parlay his, uh, his college basketball career into a, really a, a, a blooming uh, NBA agency career as well. Yeah. I'm going to do my best to get Nate Sestina on to have him share some stories. Uh, Omar Samhan was, was a lot of fun uh, and we tr- truly appreciate him jumping on. All right, let's get into some picks. Shark not here. Also didn't text me his bets. So let's just do a quick recap, Taylor, before you give out your bets. This is not going to count again because Shark not here. Guy's just holding us hostage, really. But uh, as a recap of last week, Shark had Florida plus four, Penn State minus three and a half, and Cornell plus 16. Florida plus four did not hit. Penn State minus three and a half did not hit. Cornell plus 16 did. Uh, Taylor, the three and O man, Purdue minus 18, correct. UConn minus four. Yes, sir. And your mother's alma mater, Eastern Washington, plus five, which they ended up winning outright against Cal. Go figure. How the hell were they not favored? It's Cal basketball. Has anyone watched Cal? I feel like I met kind of mentioned that a little you bit. Did. You, know? you did. And I you also did. want to point out that uh, that line on that Purdue game did move significantly, but we did tweet out a warning about that uh, early in the morning. So that's another one. So, hey, and wait. I wait, I'm, I'm pushing back. We're still like when we tweet these out tomorrow. Like we still got to count these. Oh, do so. I mean, how? Yeah, how I, I, I don't have any picks from from the show. Well, as long as he as long as he gets him gets him to you by the time you tweet the show out uh, in the morning. I I'm not going to prompt him. Should I prompt him? I'll I'll needle him a little bit because yeah. all that guy does is complain about losing. It's everyone else's fault, but it's other other than his own that he can't pick games right. But you know, well, this is this is what I'm saying about holding us hostage. If he doesn't send it to me, then I can't really count it unless unless we do just count it well i mean we'll see we'll see if uh, i go oh and three we're not counting this week that's a okay. that's that's a shark move right there that's that's a shark complete move. shark move so yeah you want me to dive on in here then please do all right so we're gonna start with probably the worst team in college basketball uh the louisville cardinals uh they're at home um against western kentucky western kentucky's eight and one this year they're a pretty good ball club and Western Kentucky's only favored by seven. So I'm going to go ahead and hammer Western Kentucky on that. Now the odds would say that at some point Louisville will win a basketball game, 
right? But I mean, Western Kentucky is a legitimately good squad. So I'm going to go Western Kentucky over Louisville minus seven. Uh, as I alluded to early, earlier, we got UCLA at Maryland. I'm going to take Maryland minus one and a half here. I hope that doesn't. Uh, I hope that doesn't rub some of the luster off of that uh, UCLA Kentucky game uh, coming up. But uh, Maryland's got two losses in a row here. Um, I feel like they're still a pretty good ball club, and you know UCLA going on the road, late tip, you know East Coast. Um, I I wasn't nearly as high on UCLA as other people were this year. Um, and I still think they're a good ball club, but I'm going to roll with Maryland minus one and a half against UCLA. And then I'm going to go uh, to the UPMC Cooper Fieldhouse for DePaul Duquesne. I'm going to roll with DePaul plus one. Um, DePaul is rated uh, slightly better offensively, but significantly better defensively. So I'm going to roll DePaul plus one. So that's DePaul plus one over Duquesne, Western Kentucky by seven over Louisville and Maryland by one and a half over UCLA. Good picks. We'll see if they end up counting. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll gather, we'll gather the brain trust after this episode. Thank you there, Taylor. All right, let's go ahead. Get on out of here now though, on some good things. Hmm? All right. Good things. Taylor, what's your good thing for the week? Uh, so Boston College just announced that they are going to do uh, honor the man in the red bandana, Wells Crowther, uh, which they usually do for football. But I don't remember if they've done this for basketball before. Um, if you don't know the man in the red bandana, absolutely uh, amazing story uh, about a former uh, Boston College football player named or lacrosse player, excuse me, named Wells Crowther, uh, who ran back into the World Trade Center Um to save people and uh, everyone identified him as the man in the red bandana. I actually went to the uh, 9-11 Memorial this year and uh, specifically found Wells Crowther's name actually, which I thought was pretty cool. So uh, Boston college is unveiling some jerseys. They're going to wear this weekend uh, to honor him. Uh, something that they do every year. And I think it's awesome. Cause I think a lot of people get taught, Oh, we've done this for years, whatever. We're not, well, we're going to shift. We're going to do something else. I love that they continue to honor this man uh, year after year in multiple sports. I think it's the coolest thing. And I'm super happy to to see that they're doing this in basketball now, too. Yeah, it's a great tribute. I think I saw the red bandana striping actually in a previous game. Is this a is this a different uniform set? Like cause they, they were in New York uh, last week, I believe. And I think they wore some sort of tribute jersey to him so i don't know if it's already been unveiled or if there's something different here um regardless it's yeah right if we didn't talk about it still we're talking about yeah i mean it oh i guess it was posted four days ago so they could have posted this on saturday before the game itself uh last saturday so um, i apologize if i'm late on that no that's um, fine but yeah still worth pointing out because i think it's a really cool tribute they look great too just didn't add it i mean not that that's the message but they look super cool Totally. It's hard. It's hard. I think it's harder to do it on the bass or on the football jerseys because obviously you've got like gold pants, maroon top, whatever basketball, you can kind of play around with, you got less material, right? So um, the white and red that they're doing, yeah, looks really good. BC doesn't do a lot of things right when it comes to athletics, but they certainly got this one. Correct. Uh, My good thing, UNLV, you remember back in the early nineties when UNLV was rolling, of course you don't. Because we were children, we were infants, we were like two, three years old. And all I heard 
growing up watching college basketball was how amazing UNLV was, you know, Tarkanian, Stacey Augman, Larry Johnson, how amazing it was to have a team in Sin City representing and doing so well. We've never seen UCLA as a threat in our entire lives. They are the prime example of a team that at one point was amazing. And that all the stories sounded so cool about them. And we've like, our generation has not been able to experience that. Everyone said that about Fi Slamma Jamma in Houston. Hey, we're back now with Houston. So that's really cool. We have yet to see that with UNLV our entire lifetime. I think I tweeted last year towards the end of their Mountain West tournament run. I was like, I want to see UNLV do well once in my lifetime. I want them to be a threat. I want Las Vegas to be hopping because right now I think Nevada, I suppose, is a University of Nevada, Reno state when it comes to college basketball. Steve Alford's had them pretty decent. And then, of course, Eric Musselman. But it's never been a UNLV running revs state in our lifetime. That could be changing, though, Taylor. That could be changing as the Rebs are 10 and 0 to start the season. Kevin, Kevin Kruger, son of Long Kruger, has done a tremendous job with UNLV, I think only in his second, maybe third season, not sure. But uh, it's just fun to have UNLV back on the map. And if you look at the rest of the Mountain West, they're a really good conference again. Okay, I know I sort of pivoted off of them as the conference to produce the most theater. I've referenced the MAC and then even Western Kentucky, uh, the Conference USA. They have some good teams as well. But here we are again with the Mountain West. New Mexico is 10-0. Another team that I've seen been really good, not coincidentally, I suppose, with the Steve Alford teams. And the Pitt is one of the toughest places to play. But they're 10-0. Utah State, 8-0. Boise State, Roberto Bergerson, shout out. 8-2. San Diego State, 8-3. Nevada, 8-3. San Jose State, 8-3. Man, I mean, these guys, this conference is really deep. And so we might be looking at yet another year of, you know, four teams. But it's really cool that New Mexico and UNLV, two venues that you think of, of awesome uh, awesome times, awesome places, very loud. It's just great to have them back. But special shout out to UNLV because I've never seen them this good. I really don't think so. I mean, it just makes – I was thinking about this, uh, obviously not in, on the West Coast, but I was thinking about this with Indiana last week too. Like college basketball is just better when Indiana's like good, even though I don't like Indiana, right? It's just better when they're good. The Western United States has lacked that kind of like second level of – good teams over the over our lifetimes really it's been arizona ucla and gonzaga with sdsu kind of thrown in there oregon was good for a five-year span but really that's kind of been about it for the most part these teams like new mexico and and unlv really just hadn't been hadn't been very up over the last few years and so it's really just been kind of like a three-horse race out west here but now that you've got all these other teams like there's a U of A UNLV like home and home is awesome. You know, like we'd like going up there. They like coming down here. U, U of A and uh, New Mexico have a rivalry as well. Um, UNLV and UCLA have a rivalry. UNLV and Duke have a rivalry. Like, I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of connections when those schools are, are good that make uh, college basketball better. And for me, the guy who lives in the West, it also fills my night with like tangibly good basketball to watch, not just like, oh, I guess I'll watch this, you know, Western whatever versus Western other whatever. Now it's like, okay, cool. I got 10 and 0 UNLV against 10 and 0 New Mexico on it. 11 Eastern tonight. Like I'm excited. 
yeah. So keep your keep doing your thing, UNLV. You as well, New Mexico. This started out as a good thing for UNLV. Ended up just being a more more propaganda for the Mountain West, which I think is low key my favorite conference over the There's past. They're so couple much years. better than the Pac-12 is. <laughs> oh, they uh, they're just a lot more fun. Hey, you know what though? Utah is putting together some nice wins. We mentioned ASU, UCLA, Arizona's there. You know what? I'm not coming around on the Pac-12 because they're still an embarrassment because of Cal, but uh, you know. ASU's kind of come out of the weeds, Utah coming out of the weeds. So we'll see who wins uh, it, right now, Louisville or Cal. I, we, I really, uh, that was actually another game this past week. Uh, how come we didn't, uh, how come we didn't talk about Florida state Louisville? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. What a waste of time that would be. I don't know. Louisville versus Cal. <sighs> I genuinely don't know, man. There, I, I, I would say Cal. I think they've kept games closer. Louisville. Every time I look at them, man, they're getting beat by 20. Like they were getting beat by 20 to Florida state. And that should really hammer home how bad they are. Plus like Cal, I don't know. Cause Cal has literally 14 people at their game. I mean, I, I urge anybody still listening to this at this point to go look at like a highlight from one of any of recent Cal's games at home. 14 might be an exaggeration. It's depressing. Of too high. I mean, of too many people. It's depressing as hell, but what's not depressing this upcoming slate on Saturday, enjoy the games. We want to thank Omar Samhan once again for jumping on. That was a lot of fun and we will catch you next time here on theater and college hoops.